We're in the book of Philemon. I thought I could do this all in one week, but I was deceived again. And so we're going to have to break this up into two weeks. So we're going to start this this week. We're going to get through the first 11 verses this morning. So let's, let's look in Philemon, uh, uh, verse 1. There's only one chapter, so praise the Lord. Philemon 1.1, 1, 1, let's read. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you to do its fitting, yet for your sake I rather appeal to you, being such as one as Paul, the aged, and now also the prisoner of Jesus Christ, to appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who I have begotten while I, am, while I was in chains, or I am in chains, verse 11, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God that's already blessed. We're going to open our heart, receive it by faith, and be blessed and nourished by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what they need to see. Uh, Father, we just thank you for breaking this apart and that they hear your voice today and walk away with what they need. Only you can do this miracle and believe it's happening right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse, verse. Let's get into this and unpacking this. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. So in this book, we have a historical account of a story dropped right into the New Testament filled with doctrine, filled with teaching. We have a story of that took place. And for years, I wondered, why is the book of Philemon in the New Testament? It was just a story about a runaway slave. And, and Paul meets him in prison, gets him born again in prison. And then when he's released, he sends him back to Philemon to get reconciled back because he had stolen some things from Philemon. And so I was thinking, you know, that's a nice little story, but what in the world is it doing in the New Testament? And then, then the Lord showed me that the, the whole thing in here is there's snapshots in this book of redemption. It's much like in the Old Testament book of Ruth. We have a story of Ruth, and so she was a Moabitess, and she comes back into Israel. But then you see Boaz as a kinsman redeemer, redeeming a Gentile bride. And so in there's a type of Jesus, redeeming the Gentile church. And so in there you see pictures of Jesus. So in the New Testament, this operates much like the book of Ruth, to where you're going to see glimpse, glimpses of redemption in this story. It's not an allegory. It's not every little point means something spiritually. But you see glimpses of redemption in this book. So I think it's good that we look through this and see the glory of redemption. And so again, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. And so Paul was a prisoner for Jesus Christ. He was in Rome, in prison. And one day the jail cell opened and a guy got thrown in and his name was Onesimus. And he found out Onesimus was from the city of Colossae. And so he had, he had escaped his, his owner, stole some things, 
and they told Paul about that. Well, Paul just witnessed to him and said, it's not so much about what you've done in Estimates, it's about who you know. You did you know Jesus Christ died for your sins and you can be forgiven and led them to the Lord. And so now Onesimus is freed, and so Paul says you need to make it right. Now there's some things in life, we're forgiven by the Father vertically, but we need to make some things right horizontally. Some relationships. And so we need to go back, and so you needed to make that right. And so you've stolen something from him. So I want you to go back, and, and it was up to Philemon whether he was reconciled, to, uh, Onesimus was reconciled to Philemon. He was released, but it would be up to Onesimus to do that or not. Does that sound like us? That Jesus died for our release, died for all of humanity, but it's up to us to be reconciled or not. And we have to choose to be reconciled. And we're going to find out that, that Onesimus was. And Onesimus actually comes back bearing the letter for Philemon to read. <laughs> read this. <laughs> Paul says, you've got to receive me back. You know, and so we have the story, but again, there's, there's pictures of redemption. And so, you know, Paul was in prison as a prisoner, but he wasn't in there for anything that he had done. He had done nothing wrong. There was no fault in him. He didn't sin. He didn't commit evil, but he was in there because he was preaching the gospel. You know why Jesus, Jesus on the cross entered into our sin. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He entered into our prison cell to set us free. But he entered in not because of anything he'd done wrong. He chose to enter in to free us. Paul's in prison. He hadn't done anything wrong. But he's in prison and he sets Onesimus free. Even while he's in prison, he's set free. Because guess what? Spiritual freedom is probably more powerful than natural freedom. And so Onesimus is set free and he sends him back. And so let's go down and look and says, To Philemon, our beloved and fellow laborer. Look at the word Philemon. The word Philemon means, the name Philemon means he, uh, he who kisses, one who kisses. And we're going to see in, this na in, the, in the name, you see a character of someone, that there was a man of love, a man of, of forgiveness there in Philemon. And so Paul's going to ask him to forgive, but Philemon, that's just his nature. He's going to want to do that. And so we're going to find that out in this letter. And so Philemon, we see glimpses of our Heavenly Father. Paul has, we see glimpses of Jesus in the intercessory role. Paul's going to intercede with Philemon. And so we're going to see Paul have glimpses of Jesus in his, his intercessory ministry. We're going to see Philemon, glimpses of the Father in Philemon. And Onesimus has fallen mankind. We're going to see glimpses of that in this story. And so here we see Philemon, our beloved and fellow laborer. And so Philemon is a lover. And so he's beloved or one who is of love. And he's a fellow laborer with Paul. And so again, we see the glimpse of God the Father and Jesus Christ and said that you're my fellow laborer. Do you know that Jesus and God the Father labored together to bring redemption to you? Matter of fact, Father, the Father planned the plan of redemption. Jesus executed the plan of redemption. And the Holy Spirit reveals the plan of redemption. All three of the Trinity are co-laborers together in redemption. And so we see that here. Look at verse 2. To the beloved Aphia and Archippus. Why would you call your kid Archippus? <laughs> He's going to have trouble in school. To the beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church that's in your house. Who is Aphia and who is Archippus? Well, Aphia is Philemon's wife and Archippus is their son. And so we're going to find out that uh, Philemon has a church in his home. He's a pastor. 
And so Aphia is the pastor's wife, and Archippus is in the ministry. He's old enough to be in the ministry. How do we know that? Because in the book of Colossians, that's where they live, Paul wrote the book of Colossians and told in chapter 4, said, remind Archippus to complete or finish or fulfill his ministry. There was something happening in Archippus' life to where it was in danger whether he would fulfill the ministry or not. Now, we can guess what that is, but you know how what probably enters in more than any other thing into someone's life to keep them fulfilling the call of God on their life? Offense. Offense. You get offended. And so, you know, offense is the number one offensive weapon of Satan. That is the bait of Satan is offense, to get you into an offense. And so when you get into offense, a fence gets put up between you and other people and also your relationship with God. You put a fence up there. And so guess what? You cannot be offended. Last time I checked, you cannot be offended if you're not offendable. Ask someone, are you offendable? Well, some of you got offended right there. Right there. How dare does he bring me up a fence when I'm offended? Guys, you need to just get over it. You know where your eyes are all when you get offended? On yourself. Now, I'm talking to your neighbor. Me and you are like this. <laughs> Me and you, we're tight, okay? You have your eyes on yourself. You, have your eyes on you don't have your eyes on Jesus. You cannot have your eyes on Jesus and get offended. Because offense has to do with self. How dare he say that about me can you believe what they did to me how dare they say that to how dare they do that to me 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 that holy trinity me myself and I I have a word from the Lord that you just need to get over it so suck it up buttercup Get over it. Forgive. Move on. Praise God. To the beloved Appia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church in your house. They had a church in their home. Well, pastor, and church is supposed to be, if you're a New Testament church, you've got to be in houses. There's no some organized church. That's not the will of God. Well, hold on a second before you leave to go to your house. In the early church, up to the year around 300, there were no public buildings. You couldn't rent a public building. Every once in a while, you may find one of them. Paul found one in the book of Acts in the school of Tyrannus. It was a medical school. They met in the morning, but they didn't have anything in the afternoon, so they allowed him to do that, but that was rare. You didn't have just public buildings for public use back then, so you had to meet in homes. You might meet at the temple or meet every once in a while in a public square, but you would have to meet home to home to home. But in those house churches, there were leadership. There were elders in every one of those fellowships. There was qualifications. There was order in those. And so I'm not against house churches, but make sure that the person leading it is, is ordained by God, that can teach the Word of God, that there's order there. And so again... It's not wrong to me here, but after in our day that we're able to meet in larger groups because we can get buildings like this, we rent this building. One day, bless God, we're going to have our own building. Amen. We're going to own our own building. Yes. We're widening the river. Yes. Now, if you want to give to the Widen the River project during the offering, just put that down there, Widen the River. We'll make sure it gets in there. But again, to the church in your house, they were pastors. 
of a, of a, church, of a local congregation. Look at verse 3. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Say grace to you. Grace. Tell someone grace to you. Grace to you. Grace to you. you know, this is, this is used 16 times in the New Testament. A book of the Bible is in the New Testament is opened by this phrase. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, that's just a nice opening that you would just say, no, no, no. This is something that's extremely powerful. Matter of fact, when God wants to emphasize something in your life, he, he repeats it. And if you want to emphasize something to your child, you repeat it over and over and over again. That's how I learned my multiplication tables. Six times seven is 49. I'll never forget that because <laughs> I got it repeated and repeated. Why do you laugh at me? And so grace to you is been repeated. And so this, this, this phrase is so important to understand that's at the very beginning of the book. Before any doctrine, before any teaching about who you are, what you have, or any admonition of you to do anything as a Christian, God says grace to you. What is that? That's the resource to live out the Christian life. And everything after verse 3, you are to live it out by grace. And so often we try to do it by willpower. We try to do it in our own effort. But no, you have grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. That's vertically. But horizontally, it's the power of God to do what you couldn't possibly do in the natural. And so everything after grace to you and peace from God our Father, that's the resource you use to do everything written afterwards. And it's by the power of God. And it says grace to you. And so that brings it out that that grace is offered to you. You don't even need to pray for it. There's no admonition in the Bible to pray for grace because that's been given to you. Your, your spirit is filled with the grace of God. You're, fill, you're full of it. You're full of the grace of God. And so you just need to acknowledge it. We're going to find that in verse 6. Unfortunately, verse 6 is usually the only verse you'll ever hear out of Philemon. We pull verse 6 out, and Philemon's up in heaven going, well, that's all I get. I don't even get the rest of my book even mentioned. And so we're going to look, we're filing and we're going to do it. We're going to get through every verse. And so, but verse six is so powerful that you've got to acknowledge what's on the inside before you can appropriate it. And so we're going to see grace has been given to us, but we've got to appropriate it. And it's voice activated. Say, I have the grace of God to forgive the person next to me. You were with me until I got there, and then you were like, Pastor, you got me off here. You have grace to do everything God's asked you to do. You have grace to love. You have grace to give. You have grace to serve. You have grace. Say, I have grace. And so that's how you tap into it. You know, well, I'll beg God for grace. Oh, God, I don't feel any grace. Well, it's not by feeling. It's by revelation. And that grace is on the inside of you. And so grace to you and peace. Say, peace. From God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is my favorite fruit. I love peace. Peace is so awesome, but guess what? Peace comes from the, un, from the grace of God. Peace comes directly from the grace of God. Let me tell you how, how you know you've been appropriating grace. Now, I'm not saying do you understand grace or have you heard sermons about grace. I listen to Joseph Prince every single day. I have his book. I have Andrew's books on grace. I understand grace. No, I'm not asking that. I said, are you appropriating it? Are you appropriating it? Because there's byproducts to the appropriated grace of God. There's three of them we're going to talk about this morning. The first one is peace. 
Do you have peace today in your soul? Do you have peace in your heart today? If you don't have peace, I don't care how much you know about the grace of God, you're not appropriating the grace of God. And if you appropriate the grace of God, you're going to have peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so peace is a byproduct of receiving the unmerited favor of God and the power of God. And so look at verse 4. I thank my God. Say thank. I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayer. Look at the word thank. It's the Greek word eucharistio. Eucharistio. E-U is the word for good. The root word for charistio is charis. Actually, that's from Texas. The Greek word is pronounced charis, but if you're from Texas, it's charis. So put those two together. It's to give good grace. To give good grace. What's that mean? That means that thanksgiving is a direct product of the grace of God you have, you have received and appropriated, utilized, and it's released back. And so let me say something to you that if you are not thankful and you're not overflowing with thankfulness, you're not appropriating grace. If you're full of grumbling, griping, and murmuring, and moaning, then you're not appropriating grace. I know about grace, but I'm not appropriating grace. Thanksgiving is like the, night, the, the, uh, the carbon dioxide that you give off once you have received an appropriated oxygen. Not, carbon dioxide is proof that you have received oxygen, you have processed oxygen, and it's the byproduct. It's proof. Well, what's the proof you've received grace in your life? You have peace. And thanksgiving is flowing out of your life. And so again, are we appropriating grace? Paul says, I thank my God, making mention of you in my prayers. Say mention. A lot of times we think that we need to make long intercessory prayers over certain people. Well, there's certain people we need to pray a little longer for. But, there's, but Paul says, I just mention your name. You know, power, the prayer is so powerful when you put faith to it. You can just bring up mention someone's name in faith and put it before the Father and the Lord releases his blessing. And so just mention someone's name. This morning I mentioned many of you before the Lord. And the Lord's blessing is being released over you. And Paul says that I just made mention of you in my prayers. And so again, Paul was a prayer warrior. And so what's Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is the voice of faith and love. Let me say that again. Thanksgiving is the voice of faith and love. When you say thank you, what does that mean? I believe you've done something. I believe I've received something. Is it strange if I walked up to John, I hadn't seen him for a week, and I said thank you? What's his first thing he's going to say? So, so being filled with thanks means that you've, you've acknowledged that he's done something. That's called faith. That he's, he's done something for you. That's, you acknowledge grace. Making mention of you always in my prayers. Go down to verse 5. Hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ and towards all the saints. I want you to see it in context. He says, I mentioned you in my prayers when I heard of the love and faith that you have in Jesus. You know how often when we start praying for someone is when we hear something bad's gone on in their life. You know, they're not in church anymore. They're having a financial problem. They're having problems in their relationship or in their marriage. Pray for Mary, pray for Jim. He said they're in difficulty. That's when you start praying for people usually. Paul said, when I heard you, you were, that you were walking in love and faith and you were bearing fruit and you're doing good, that's when I started praying for you. Why would Paul start praying for them when he heard that they were doing good? Because they have a target on their back. 
when you start walking in faith and love, guess what? You have a target and say, I'm a, I'm a threat to you. And so, guys, don't wait till someone, the, the wheels fall off of their life to start praying for them. Start praying for the, the ones you see that are bearing fruit and doing well. Pray that they would continue to walk in that and be protected as they manifest Jesus. And so it says, having your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ and towards some of the saints. Oh, I'm sorry. A clueless translation. Boy, I wish that said some of the saints. It says faith, love and faith towards all the saints. You know, sometimes it's a lot easier to love some people than others. And so it's easy to love, you know, Joanne. It's easy to love Joanne. But then there's some people you have to love them by faith. It takes all the faith you have. The love of God's in me. I know it. And I believe it's being manifested. Hallelujah. Don't look around. It won't go well. Hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Because God has love towards you. He has faith in you. He loves all of you. And so we are to do that with one another. Verse 6 says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Look at that word sharing. It's the Greek word koinonia. You may have heard that before. It means fellowship. It means a sharing together of something. It means to impart to another something you have. And so we all have faith. We have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ in our spirit. But it doesn't help anybody if it's in our spirit. It needs to get out of our spirit. You have love in your spirit, but that's not going to help anybody unless it gets out of your spirit. And so you need to release that to others, and you do it by faith. And so you release what's inside by faith, and it says your faith will become effective. Raise your hand if you want your faith to be effective. This is exactly, this verse is how you do it. That the sharing of your faith might become effective by the acknowledgement of every bad thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. I'm clueless translation, I'm sorry. This verse says that it will become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Religion always gets things backwards. What does the religion say? If you want to advance in your faith, you want to advance in your Christian walk, then you need to find every bad thing that's in you, focus on it like a weed and get and pull it out. And once you've got that pulled out, go to the next weed. You've got to really focus on it really hard. Get that pulled up and you go from weed to weed to weed. But the problem, you get to the sixth weed, the first weed starts popping up again. <laughs> have you ever pulled weeds out in the yard? I have. Joanne sends me out on a regular basis. <laughs> i got to pull those things earlier than later because they take root. But. but this verse doesn't say that because religion gets it backwards. If you want to advance in your Christian walk, don't focus on the bad things of your flesh. Don't look at your own faults because you're looking at you. That's the worst place to look to to advance in the Christian walk. Look at Jesus. There's three steps to the Christian walk. Look at Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. Keep on looking at Jesus. And it says, here it says, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing. Look at the word acknowledgement. I can't receive something from someone I don't acknowledge. And I can't receive the benefit of something I don't know it's there. And so here it says the word acknowledgement. Look at that word acknowledgement. In the Greek, it's epinosis. Gnosis is the actual Greek word for natural knowledge, gnosis. Epi means above or higher. So it means higher knowledge. It's revelation knowledge. 
not just natural knowledge you learn by reading books, but it's impartation of the Holy Spirit, revelation knowledge. And so as your faith will become effective by the revelation knowledge of every good thing that is in you. You need revelation to know what's on the inside of you. Why? Because all the good stuff in you is in your spirit, not necessarily in your soul. If there's anything good in your soul, it's come up out of your spirit by faith. And so it's not really in your body, but you can have the good things of God, the healing power of God enter your body, but you got it pulled up out of your spirit. Everything's in your spirit, man. Well, your spirit man's in the spirit. That's deep. Your spirit man is in the spirit realm. You can't see the spirit realm. You can't taste it, touch it, feel it, or anything with your five senses. You've got you to have revelation of what's in the spirit realm. What's the only way you can see what's in the spirit realm? By the word of God. It's your mirror to look into the spirit realm, and then whatever you see in there, you get to take it by faith. Because you can't go by feeling. Well, you look in that mirror, and oh, it says, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But you know it's not always going to go with your feelings. You don't always feel like the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, especially early in the morning. When you roll out of bed and you felt for sure a hormone got knocked out of place. And you're like, you don't feel saved. But guess what I am saved because I have a revelation of the word. I walk by faith, not by faith. The word of God is my instrument panel when I'm flying and there's clouds everywhere and my up seems down. I don't go by my feelings. I go by the instrument panel of the word. And the word says, by his stripes, I was healed. There might be a feeling in my body, but that's a lying symptom. It's there, but it's lying against the truth. I was healed. And that's a spiritual reality. I'm going to pull that up by faith. I'm going to walk by faith. It says, I'm righteous. I don't always feel righteous, but I am. And I'm going to say, that's my true north. That's my steady to go forth in. It says, by you're making me treat. Stop it. I teach usually, but now you made me treach. That's adding a little preaching to teaching. By the acknowledging of every good thing or divine good that he put within you, which is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 7. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. And so we have great joy. Actually, the Greek word is charis. Not, not the word, regular word for joy. And so the word joy is the Greek word kara, and it's a derivative of charis. And so we're going to find out here that that is the next thing. It's the third thing that is a byproduct of the grace of God is joy. Joy is a product. So peace, say peace, and thanksgiving, and joy are all three byproducts of the grace of God. So you can just do a quick check. Check in your life and say, do I have peace? Do I, am I thankful? And do I have joy? And if you're having trouble with that, ask your spouse. They'll tell you the truth. <laughs> Praise God. And so here it says, for we have great joy and consolation. Look at that word consolation. It means comfort. So we have great joy and consolation in your love. Here we see again redemption. We see a picture of this. He says, Philemon, you're filled with, with uh, grace. You're filled with consolation or comfort and so we're we're filled with all this through your love and so it's the father's love that fills us with grace and fills us with comfort have you ever uh when you were a kid and you scraped your knee and you ran to your mother and she just had a way of comforting you and soothing you guys i know your mama's boys at heart 
And so you receive that comfort. Well, the Heavenly Father wants to comfort you with His presence. And He has a way of comforting you like no one else. And so there's times when, you know, I'm a little edgy and, and Joanne says, well, you need to spend some time with Jesus. So do you. No. <laughs> and I really do. And go spend some time with you and just be comforted. Sometimes we get just agitated in life. We need the love of God. The love of God will comfort you. And so it says, for we have great joy or grace and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brethren. You know, Philemon was a type of guy you just want to be around. That after you've been with him for a little while, you just feel better. You feel refreshed. You feel like, you know what? I just feel better off just being around them. Have you ever met anybody like that? You have friends that you go out to dinner with and you just feel better on the other side of it. You feel refreshed being in the presence. But then there's others. Not so much. Matter of fact, you feel like I'm drained. You know, just being with them is just like trying to keep a feather blown up. <laughs> and you're so drained at the end of this, and it's like having to always keep them up because they're they're Eeyore. Ooh. You don't know anybody like that. But but Philemon was someone like that. But you know what? He's a picture of the father. The Father has refreshment for you. And religion paints a picture of a Father that's critical. That if you come in His presence, He's going to point out exactly what you've done wrong. He's going to be, actually give you a tinge of condemnation over it just to ki kick you in the pants to get going. And then He's going to give you stuff to do. He's going to give you more labors and more burdens and more stuff to put on. And people don't want to go in front of a God like that, but He's not like that. And today the Lord wants me to tell you that He's a nice guy. And he really wants to spend time with you. Look at, look at Psalms 23. Psalms 23. Look at verse 2. Speaking of your father. This is your Lord. Psalms 23. Look at verse 2. He puts more burdens on me and leaves me beside troubled waters. I'm sorry, clueless translation popped up again. For he makes me lie down, say lie down, in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. You come into God's presence, I'll tell you what he's going to do. He's going to have you, why don't you just sit down and rest here? And just bask in my presence. Bask in my provision. Well, I haven't done it. I haven't confessed all my sins yet. Well, wait a minute. Before you go to all confessing, I just want to tell you, I love you. We can get to that stuff later, but why don't you just sit down and just enjoy my presence because I love you so much. And then, by the way, I want you to sit by the still waters. Do you ever listen to, like, a bubbling brook? Uh, so sweet. You know, when we, get, we have a Google home, and so when we go to bed, we talk to it and say, uh, Google, okay, Google, because if you don't say, okay, Google, it doesn't happen. Okay, Google, play the sound of the ocean. And that's just the presence of God. That's a calm, tranquil. That's God's presence. God wants to refresh you. He didn't want to put more burdens on you. He's the one who kisses. That's his nature. And so, again, he wants you to rest and soak and refresh yourself in the warm waters of his love that wash over you. The Father wants me to tell you that he's a very nice person. 
And he loves and wants to spend time with you. Verse 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you to do what's fitting. What is he saying here? He says, you know what? I could command you to reconcile with Onesimus and forgive Onesimus for what he's done for you and take him back into your fellowship. I could command that of you. I'm in a position where I can do it, but I'm not going to do that because I don't believe that's your nature. I have to command you. And again, we see pictures of redemption in this book. Jesus says, you know what? I could come to you, Father, and say, legally, you have to forgive them because I legally paid their price, paid their debt, took their debts, and justified them legally. It's a legal deal. And you've got to take care of it. You've got to receive them back. But Jesus says, I don't have to do that because guess what? He's Philemon, the one who kisses. Because it was Jesus, it was the God the Father's idea from the very beginning to send Jesus to go reconcile. It was his love that sent him. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that we might be saved. And so, again, it was his love that did that. Jesus didn't say, okay, I'm going to have to sneak out of the house. Hope Father doesn't find out about what I'm about to do. He snuck out of the house, came down to earth, redeemed man, went up to heaven and says, don't be angry. I know you don't like them. I know that they're, they're a nasty bunch down there. I snuck out of the house. You didn't notice. I redeemed them. Now you've got to take them back. That is not found in the Bible. He's the one who kisses. Remember the prodigal son? The prodigal son left. Took, took the father's money. Almost like stealing on a bit. Just said, basically, give me what's mine, and just ran out the door and went, you know, but finally he came to himself, and he, and he had to come back. And so he came back, but the last time I checked, you know, my, Joanne has taught me that to be kissed, you have to have near proximity. <laughs> and so he had to return, but as soon as that boy returned, the father saw him and ran and tackled him. And the Greek says he kissed him in the present tense, kissed and 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 kissed. He's your heavenly Philemon. That's your father. He wants to spend time with you because he wanted me to tell you today that he's a very nice person. And he loves you very, very much. And he just wants you to be with him. And soak in his presence. Paul says, therefore, I could be very bold to command you to do what's fitting here. But verse 9 says, yet for love's sake. Jesus was sent for love's sake. What Jesus did was for love's sake. Yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you, intercede to you, as being as one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't have to talk God into forgiving you. It's more than a legal thing. Bless God, it is a legal thing. It's ironclad legal, your forgiveness. But it's not just a legal thing. It's a love thing. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, 
whom I have begotten while I was in my chains. Paul was in prison, and one day the door cell opened up, and Onesimus got thrown in there, started telling his story. He said, yeah. He said, well, how did you get in this place? Well, well, I ran away. I'm a runaway slave. Oh, really? Why'd you run away? Oh, why are you asking me? I stole something. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? What you've done is not really that important. It's, you need to know a person named Jesus. You know Jesus, what he did for you? Is he took all your sins on himself. He died for you. He died for everything you've ever done, Onesimus. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. But you need to believe that he died for you and rose again from the dead. Will you accept that? Yes. Well, let's just say a simple prayer. Let's just kneel right here and let's just receive Jesus. He led him to the Lord right there in that jail cell. And then a couple of days later, they came and says, okay, you're set free. And he says, right, Onesimus, you need to make it right. You're right before the Father, but go back to Philemon. Take this letter with you and make it right. And I'll grease the skids, but you know what? I know Philemon. I know his heart. He's eager to see you. He would love to see you. And when he sees you, he's got kisses for you. And so just return. But he had to have enough faith to do it and to do that. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom am I begotten while in my chains. That's not physically. He wasn't physically his son. It was his spiritual. He led him to the Lord in prison. Verse 11 says, Who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. He's using a word play here because Onesimus, the name Onesimus means profitable. That's the meaning of the name Onesimus. And he says once when he was unsaved and he didn't know Jesus, he was unprofitable. As a slave, he was unprofitable to you. But now that he's a son of God, he's a brother, now he's a believer, he's profitable to me and to you. And that's a picture of redemption. Before you were saved, you were unusable by God. God had no use for you. That's why he crucified you with Jesus. Because you were unusable, totally unusable. And that's why he had to crucify you with Jesus Christ. And so, but once you're born again, you accept Jesus, all of a sudden now you become usable to the Lord. That's why people say, you know what, if, so, if the most famous singer in the world, an unbeliever, if they would just start talking about God, you know, that would be so beneficial to the kingdom. No, it wouldn't. Totally useless to God. You're not useful to God until you're born again and then get some discipleship. Even if you're born again, the worst thing to do to a new believer, a sports athlete or an entertainer, is to put them on the, on the Christian circuit to give your testimony because they have no discipleship. They don't have no foundation in the Christian walk, and they crash. And then become a bad witness for the Lord. And so again, you become useful when you get saved and you become a disciple. God has great use for you, but before you were saved, you were not useful to the Lord. And so this is Onesimus, and we're going to find out next week how how more truths about our redemption so for now i want you to bow your heads and father i just thank you so much that in this story we see redemption and we see your heart father we see that you are the heavenly philemon the one who's full of kisses and lord i believe there's people here today and you've told me to tell them you're a very nice person and you want to spend time with them what does that mean, spend time with him? That's not with a TV dinner. Well, I'm going to watch Andrew on TV. I'm going to watch Joseph Prince on TV. No, 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 no. I want you to turn everything off, and I want you just to spend time with me. I want you, I'm going to, make, I'm going to have you lie down in green pastures and rest and refresh yourself and catch a breath, and I want you to soak in my presence, and I want to kiss you. 
because that's who I am. I love you. Will you be loved? Will you have proximity to let me kiss you? Because not only do I have affection for you, but I have wisdom for you. I have provision for you. Father, I just thank you for your love. We worship you and praise you in Jesus' name. Along with what Pastor Rick was saying this morning, last night, just before I fell asleep, the Lord said, do you love your children? And I said, yes, Lord, of course I do. He said, I love you more. And that's the last thing I remember. I, I fell sound asleep with that. But this morning on the way to church, he had a word for someone here, maybe more than someone. And the Lord said, I'm the Lion of Judah. And he said it very boldly in my spirit. I'm the Lion of Judah. And I am bringing peace, prosperity, healing to my children. Praise the Lord. Good morning. As Donald was singing that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I remember growing up in Jamaica, that song was, they, they, they sing that song at funeral and so much, but no revelation, every, every service. But a few years ago, I got a revelation of faithfulness God is. You know, while I was in school, intuition was like, things was challenging me. I just, I just kept saying, God, you are faithful. And Lamentation 3 said, 22 said, Thou. Through the Lord mercy, we are not consumed, because his compassion fail not. 23 said, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So, brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're going through or you believe in God for. I just want you to know that God is faithful. And if some of you, I just feel like some of you need to come up here. We want to pray for you. Just step to the front. We are prayer ministers. And pray for you. Just come up, my sister. And if you're in leadership, come and pray with our brothers and sisters. Come up to the front. Someone will pray for you. Because God is faithful. And you need to remind yourself how faithful he is.